0: And we, we really see the the basics of what it means to be confessional, things that are stated and that are held on to as trustworthy sayings. And uh, the apostles built on those and called for us to hold fast that truth that we've been given and handed down as well.
1: Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, and I am joined as always by
2: my friend and co-host, Dr. James Tollsll James how are you today? Jonathan, doing well. And we are the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and so I thought that would be a good tee up for our guest today.
1: It's worth noting this book is right in our wheelhouse. It's it's something that uh it's it's near the center of what the Alliance uh, wants to emphasize. We're we're, we're We have the privilege today of welcoming as a guest, Nathan Eshelman. He's written a book fairly recently called I Have a Confession, and it's about the Westminster Confession and the benefits of the Westminster Confession. If you're if you're not familiar uh, with Nathan Eshelman, he is the pastor of Reformed Presbyterian Church of Orlando. They are in downtown Orlando. He's been there for several years now. So, Nathan,
0: thanks for thanks for joining us on the program yeah, it's great to be here. thanks for the invitation.
2: good. let's um let's get into this book you've written, uh, and i'll I'll say this to our readers. this is um this is not a, a large tome giving an exposition of the Westminster Confession. Um, it's a commendation uh, in many ways of the Westminster Confession um, and the benefits of it. So let me just ask first, um, why this book, um, who are you aiming? who are you aiming at? and
0: um, and we can kind of work from there. Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a helpful question. I the aim of the book is really uh asking the question about uh why why we have a confession of faith, what its purpose is. And the target audience is twofold. Uh number one, it's it's to train those in our churches that are probably not going to pick up a book. You know, if you had somebody as a pastor come to you and say, What can you tell me about why we have a confession of faith or what the history of the Westminster confession is or what's in the Westminster confession? There's many books that we could hand to people that they're literally just not going to read uh, for people that don't don't pick up books. So I wanted a book that was very accessible for those that that would be able to work their way through. It's it's filled with uh, illustrations, short stories that that move us on theologically. Uh, but also thinking about a target audience of people that are new to a reformed or Presbyterian church. We have a lot of people that so-called convert to the reformed faith from evangelicalism generally, and they come in and they're very excited about how much Bible is in worship or how much Bible is used in our discipleship. And then we talk about confessions or catechisms and there's some head scratching, you know, what is this? I thought we were sola scriptura, I That's thought, what Catholics do, Nathan. Right, right. Exactly. And I think that the the book was intended to, to help walk us through from, you know, really the starting point of here's what the Bible says. Uh, here's why we have permission from the Bible to write confessions. Here's what sola scriptura means. Here's what authority looks like. And then telling the story of, of how the Westminster Confession came to be and then giving sort of a drone's eye view of what's in it.
1: Nathan I wonder if you could unpack that just a little bit so uh sola scriptura uh the the emphasis on the scriptures you know, how how does that bear on confessionalism or how, do, how does that how does that actually work together with an emphasis on the confession? Because that is one of the criticisms, even from people who are a little more familiar with uh, confessions and creeds. They'll say something like, well, you know, that's not our authority. The Bible's our authority. Right. And, and don't quote from the confession. Show me it in the scriptures." So so how do, how do you navigate that in your conversations with people who who have that objection?
0: Yeah, so in in the book I talk about how uh we see throughout um, the New Testament, focusing mostly on the New Testament. We do see it some in the Old Testament, but uh we see the uh, the apostles uh using the scriptures and saying here are trustworthy sayings. Here are things that we should that we should be building on. Uh and we we really see the the basics of what it means to be confessional things that are stated and that are held on to as trustworthy sayings and uh the apostles built on those and called for us to hold fast that truth that we've been given and handed down as well so uh you know the idea of confessions being something separate from the scriptures or um outside of the authority of the scriptures is something that i do show is is Uh, not true they're they're built on the scriptures with the scriptures being that final authority and all the the all the confession does is it points us back to the word of god and to the truths of the word of god like if you were to take the westminster confession of faith and uh say take a a highlighter and highlight all the the quotations from and allusions to the scriptures that are within it it would be a very heavily yellowed confession of faith by the time you're you're done doing that uh because it it's so deeply founded on on the scriptures and what the scriptures are teaching
2: so let's let's add well jonathan you had a follow-up on that and then i'll then i'll go
1: well, it wasn't so much a follow-up on that as it was uh, an expansion, I guess I would say, um, because you mentioned that confessions of faith in, in that framework, they're, they're biblical, they're summaries of biblical teaching. They also keep us honest, and I think that's exact—that's exact, right. exact, an exact quote. And so how do confessions of faith keep us honest, perhaps even a, in a way that a no-creed-but-the-Bible framework might not keep us honest
0: yeah i i have a a friend that that was raised in a a church tradition without any uh without any creeds or confessions and as a young boy he asked his his uh um elders what what the church believes concerning something and the answer was whatever the pastor believes you know so when the pastor gets swapped out that's what the church believes that's not a that's not our statement as a confessional church. We're honest in the sense that what we believe is written down so that if visitors come in and they say, hey, what do you believe about the virgin birth? Or what do you believe about infant baptism? Or what do you believe about the natures of Christ? We're able to say, hey, we've written this down and this is what we subscribe to. This is what our elders and ministers are are saying they're upholding and teaching. And it keeps us honest because it's there in front of us. We don't have to hide what we believe about many of these things and even things that are uh, maybe more controversial today. Like, what do you believe concerning marriage? I mean, every neighborhood that has a Presbyterian church probably wonders what they believe concerning marriage. Well, we've got it written down and we confess it. And this is what we teach because the Bible teaches it.
2: It also gives a kind of a, a standard, a summary of doctrine that then we can we can use to I mean, does this not also help the congregation? In other words, this isn't a top down thing where this right. is just the elder saying to the people, this is what we teach. But it's also something that the people are saying, this is what we believe. And then how how does that operate just in terms of the, that Berean spirit of of
0: keeping their elders and leadership honest too? Yeah, the 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 confession of faith has hundreds and thousands of, of proof texts, you know, places where we're encouraged to go in the scriptures to, uh, to check these things. And, you know, a member of a church can say, I want to see what my church believes concerning a topic. They can look it up. They can study the scriptures. They can be uh, encouraged to go other places and, and to look to see what, what the word of God has to say. And uh, they can be assured that that's what their elders and pastors are to to be teaching because it is what what we've subscribed to Uh, there's a level of comfort in that in a church age or a church culture that is so shifting quickly you know you you think about where many churches are today compared to where they were 20 years ago on certain ideas or topics and the confession really gives us that stability where we say here here's where we stand this is what the the scriptures teach. And again, that I can't underscore that enough. We're pointing people back to the word of God, what the word of God teaches. And we want people to be assured that what this church teaches today is what this church is going to teach in 50 years or in a hundred years.
1: Now, the subtitle of your book, Nathan, is um, the word. What and why of the Westminster Confession of Faith? So, while the burden of your book, in large measure, particularly the uh, the anecdotes, hath have, have to do with um, uh, confessionalism, and that's what we've been talking about up to this point, and I think that's vitally important. That that really is something that the Alliance uh, stands very firmly on. But but you're you're making a little narrower case, which is. The Westminster Confession of Faith, and I, apart from the fact that it is the the confession of faith that that your church subscribes to, that you subscribe to, why? What's the case for the Westminster Confession?
0: Well, the the you know the what you've what you've stated is is true. This is this is my confessional heritage. I serve a Reformed Presbyterian church. Uh, it is maybe in a good way a little bit selfish to be able to. Uh, hand visitors to my church a book that deals with the confession that our church subscribes to you know i uh my mdiv is from puritan reform theological seminary so i've lived among the dutch and and love their confessional heritage too it's just you know the with all of the similarities and and the crossover between the two uh the westminster confession is the one from which uh you know the congregation from which i I serve the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. So uh, telling the story about how we got our confession and where we align within that confessional heritage, where we stand within church history and, um, you know, the the background of the British Isles version of Reformed Christianity was something that was important to tell within within my context as well.
1: So, apart from it being yours and and your churches, and, and I don't mean to minimize that, but I mean, are there are there features that you would point to in the Westminster Confession that you think make it, um, well, just the the the, I guess I would say the if you the, want you to say you would better, say the best, say, yeah, yeah, no, sure, I, I do want to I do want to say that, but I mean, I I I know you don't want to be critical, but but that you would say make it. The, the best and make yeah. it the, the one that you really hold to with, with, uh with the
0: greatest fervor. Yeah. I think that the, the Westminster confession is really the, you know, the flower of the blossom of, uh of scholastic confessional theology. And, you know, it's very careful in the way that it unfolds covenant theology the way that unfolds the relationship between the church and the state it unfolds the um you know the the beauty of of what it means to be uh in the church there's distinctions that are i think better made than in older confessions like true and true false church versus more or less pure those there's distinctions that with that hundred years of development between uh say first generation confessions and and the westminster confession there's development that is really helpful in helping us to nuance what we believe theologically um the the um the emphasis both being scholastic and experiential uh both is something that's important um sometimes confessions can be overly scholastic sometimes they can be overly experiential here we have one that really brings the best of those those worlds together and it's also ecumenical you know it's it's a a document intending to bring unity in a particular branch of christ's church uh you know the the english the scottish and at that time even though there were only a few churches in the new world the american churches were looking on as well so it's really a, a a global and ecumenical confession of faith as well
2: Nathan, who should write confessions? Um, In other words, should we all, sometimes in a seminary program, uh, a student will be required to write something like your own philosophy of ministry or or, or something like this. Um, Is our confessions that individual, should individuals write them? In the Reformed tradition, we have confessions written by individuals. uh, I think of the Belgic. Uh, There are, so who should write them? Yeah. And then maybe Uh, I should say, and then to what end but we can we can put right, that right. on
0: after. Yeah, I, the confessions of faith there there are personal confessions that that one could write and hold dear and you know keep in the personal diaries etc but the purpose of a confession is something that is to be unifying of of the church. So, you know, I I wouldn't even recommend individual congregations or presbyteries or uh, even synods to write their confessions. It should be something that is bigger and more global. You know, you think about uh, if in uh, God's grace, he ever brought multiple Reformed denominations together to write a confession together of this is what we believe together. That may be something of a value for uh, the church, but we see that This confession of faith was uh, written by a general assembly of, uh, of church representation from more than one nation. And I think that we should think big when we think about confessions so that they're able to have the greatest impact on the greatest global scale.
1: Nathan, we really appreciate your labor in writing this book, and uh, just your 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 labors in general in the gospel, and um, and and thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. We commend this book to our listeners, and 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 want to want to uh, extend our appreciation to you for writing it.
0: Yeah, thanks so much,
1: James. This is not the first time that we have um, interviewed a guest who has written a book on confessionalism and so there, there are a number of good ones out there well i wouldn't say a number there are a handful of good ones out there uh, this is in that number but i would say this 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 may be the most accessible of them it really is written at a popular level and that that's that is meant in in the very best sense it's it, it's it has stories interspersed it is uh you know really an accessible it's short uh accessible little book that makes some of the same basic points that some of the more technical volumes uh, would make as well, but, but makes them in just a really
2: um, e- easy to read way. If you're afraid of the water, uh, this doesn't require you to jump in. This is a zero level entry. It's designed that way. Uh, by its author to really be a gentle step in for those that are completely on the outside of confessionalism. Obviously, we at the Alliance, uh, I mean, we we exist um, in, in part because we do believe in uh, the good of confessionalism. And I think uh, Dr. Eshelman is making that same case in this book. This is good for individuals. It's good for pastors. It's good for churches. It's good for denominations and uh I think he makes the case winsomely and you're right um he and even as he mentioned early on this is for this is a book for people who don't like books and it's it's packaged uh and even presented that way um it seems doable for someone who doesn't read but can read um and so I think it's I think for that Target um it's a It's a very nice way into the confessional world. And I think of our listeners, many of our regular listeners, they're committed. They're they're probably already connected to a church that has an historic confession or at least a very robust doctrinal statement that is functioning as a standard or norm for them. Um, But they might have friends or relations that they need to convince that this is a better way uh, to be in Christ's church. This would be a great book to give away. Uh, to someone that you're trying to convince as well.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I'll and I'll expand on that just slightly and say I think there are there are many of our listeners who have um, children or teenagers who are who are kind of reaching the next step of their life, which will involve moving away from home, either going to college or or getting a job somewhere else, and and they're sort of putting down roots and thinking about what where where should I. Um, Where should I worship? Where do I need to plug in? And this really uh, very effectively, not in a not in a sort of heavy handed way, but very effectively makes the case for the importance of confessional churches of finding a confessional church. People move all the time. Uh, There are all kinds of changes in life. And this really reminds you why this is important. So even if you have enjoyed throughout much of your life or the current stage of life, you're in uh, being part of a confessional church. This will kind of remind you why that that is is so uh, important and and so significant. So, we we commend it. It's called I Have a Confession and again, he does focus at one point um a little later in the book on specifically the Westminster Confession of Faith and that's why the subtitle is the what and why of the Westminster Confession of Faith and we would commend this to our listeners if you'd like to enter to win a copy you can do that at theologyonthego.org placefortruth.org there there'll be a space there for you to enter your information we have a few copies to give away and again, though, even if you don't win a copy, it's it's small, it's inexpensive, it's from our friends at Grassmarket Press, and so we would we would commend it to you. If you're able to donate to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, we could really use your help now, and um, and we rely on it. And so you can do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. There are uh, donate buttons in the upper right hand corner of those web pages. Um, and also if you, if you want to pass along this podcast to others, there are a couple ways you can do that. One, you can simply just send them a link, but also if you rate and review the podcast, wherever it is that you download it, that actually helps uh, get the word out to others who might benefit from these conversations. And as always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.